most heretical podcast about the New Jedi Order. I'm your host, Bria, and with me are my co-hosts, Megan and Rocky. This month, we'll be talking about Forest Heretic 2, Refugee, I think. Yes, Refugee, by Sean Williams and Shane Dix, in which the sissy room are up to their usual crap. Tahiri's still having a bad time, and Luke and company have to <gasps> read a book. So grab your villa, tune in, and enjoy the show. And hey, guys, how you doing? Hey, I um, I finished this book. It was a close call, but I finished it. I made myself sit on the sofa, and I was not allowed to leave the sofa until I finished the book. <laughs> I was so ready to skip parts of the ending. I'm I think- like 90% sure I know what happened in this book, but I really kept on getting confused. You know, I don't think I know what happened in this book anymore, but we'll get to that in a second because obligatory disclaimer time. As a reminder, here on the Voncast, we don't do spoilers for future books, even if Rocky will go, ask me about that later, at least three times an episode. But we do go through today's book pretty thoroughly, so if you haven't read it, listen, why? Why? You know, you know how this goes by now. Stop the recording, go read the book, and come back and join us. We'll be here for you in your time of need. I am going really off script today, guys. Are we having fun yet? I feel like this is everything you really need to know about our current mental state. Yeah, yeah. Again. (laughs) Of all these books, I would say if there's any... uh, If there are people that are listening that haven't been reading along, which, like, I'm sure there are, that's fine. Yeah. This one especially, don't worry about it. Just, Just chill out. Just do something else. You're fine. You know what gets me is that when we decided that because it was a trilogy and none of us liked it, that we would each take a book to lead, that I specifically volunteered for this book because I was like, chess, fell family, yay. And then I had regrets. Yes, yes, their regrets have been had. <laughs> I just, I remember this being better. But yeah, uh, Anyways, do I have to do the thing now? Yes, yes, you do. All right. I've been told by tweets from Megan that apparently the back of the summary book, the back of the book summary is pretty good. I have not looked yet, so <clears throat> excuse me. Swift and deadly, the Yuuzhan and Vong have blasted their way across the galaxy and now stand on the threshold of a total victory, despite not being in this book almost at all. Yet a courageous <laughs> few still dare to oppose them. Rife with hostile cultures and outright enemies, the unknown regions hold many perils for Luke Skywalker and the Jedi searching for Zenoma Sakat, the living planet that may hold the key to dealing with the Yuuzhan Vong once and for all. Meanwhile, on the edge of the galaxy and in the heart of a trusted ally, old enemies are stirring. The Yuuzhan Vong have inflamed long-forgotten vendettas that are even now building up to a crisis point. And as Han and Leia journey on their quest to to knit the unraveling (laughs) <laughs> to knit the unraveling unra- <laughs> to knit the unraveling galaxy back together betrayal and deception await them okay who is the trusted ally and was crisis point a- no never mind wrong book just kidding <laughs> wait where were there any allies I couldn't that's, keep track <laughs> that's what I want to know is Bakura wait Bakura wouldn't be the trusted ally. It was kind of on the on its own side all along, wasn't it? Yeah, because they went and I had like a hissy fit. Which one? You'll know. have to be more specific. Well, it was right after because this was Bakura was the first book after Return of the Jedi, and they all went and had like 
the Empire and Rebels were like, look, Death Star's gone, Emperor's dead, let's go have a pissing mash over Bakura. Yeah, I remember Luke having, like, an existential crisis and something about creepy lizard robot things, and (laughs) yeah. He had a girlfriend who didn't die in that book. She died in later books, but she didn't die in that book. Oh, yeah, yeah, there was, like, a revolving door of Luke girlfriends for a good long while. (laughs) The the Procurans believed in the balance, which was like the Force, but not the Force, and contradicted it just enough that they didn't like the Jedi. Right. Yeah, this, this has indeed been, like, the greatest hits or misses from Bantam. (laughs) Can we talk about, we went, we... As you may have noticed from our groaning at the beginning, this was not a good book. Um, I Not a good trilogy. I went into this expecting it to be a little flat. It was like more than a little flat. It was like soda that had been left out for several days. <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> it was not great. And I found, because I remember when I reread them in 2015, I read through this series. I thought this part was fine like I don't I don't remember hating it at all I probably had some leftover feelings about Church of Bakura like most of which were negative but for different reasons than the ones I had this time around and this time I'm around I was like I finally understand why people just stopped reading this series which and I don't think the books have gotten worse I think my taste has changed yeah I know the last time I did my read through was during the Waru Express so I know I was definitely fatigued by this point but I don't know. It's just they're four hundred page books, and there's three of them. It's so unnecessary. They're huge, huge books, and it feels like they're using far too much page space in comparison to what's going on. And it's just it's convoluted and complicated enough. The lack of chapters is another part of it that's really kind of killing me. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying. And as I was getting through this, I was wondering. So in my last reread, which for these books would have been like 2012-ish, 2013-ish, maybe at the latest. I definitely remember thinking, well, they're kind of long, but they're more interesting than I remember. And then I reread them this time and I'm thinking... What was I doing back then? You're all young and naive. I like to think that this means that I've gotten better at writing dialogue because there were so many points in this where I was just like, this dialogue is terrible. And I don't necessarily think I would have noticed that before. Yeah. I keep forgetting that they're looking for Zoda Masakai. Like, I keep forgetting that's the point. Okay. like like you said earlier, so little happened. There was all this intrigue on Bakura, but the actual end result was really simple and uninteresting. Yeah, and it's so weird. So I'm going to kind of jump down to one of our listener questions, which came from Daniel. And it's sort of his question, but sort of not, where he said, it also feels like these two books are a bit of a break from the Yuzen Vogue before the big finale. Do y'all agree? And it's so weird that we go from... The whole run of every other book in the series to this, and the Vong are just not in it almost at all, except for the Naminor plotline. And even that wasn't that much in this book. It just seems such a bizarre choice for a 19-book series about the Yuzen Vong War. Yeah. That's a really interesting question. I can see it 
Like, I have no idea if it was conceived as a break of some kind, but now that you say that, I agree that it feels like it's odd that they have such a small part in the series. Yes, they're mentioned quite a few times, but was it a break? Yes. Was it a needed break? I would personally argue no. I would kind of rather go find some of our favorite extragalactic fanatics again, because uh, at least they tend to make for slightly more interesting plot than... <laughs> I don't even know who got backstabbed by the end of it, because I was just like... Everyone. No, I can't anymore. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, not to be extremely predictable, but can we just have the story about Nen Yim learning what entechment is and some kind of plot going on there? <gasps> that would be much better. Ooh. Yes. I would be very interested in that because somehow I have a feeling they would not be super thrilled to find out that that exists. But at the same time, you know, Nenyim, the nerdy scientist, is going to have to dig into it and figure yeah. out how it works. And she's just figured out the stuff about the Eighth Cortex. So now she knows that Yusun Wang needs new technology. And here's this strange new technology. This is perfect. This is such a good idea. I'm glad I thought of it. <laughs> so if we found yeah. you your newest fanfic project? <laughs> add it to the list, Odie. Add it to the list. <laughs> I actually, now that you bring that up, I feel like at least if if one of these plot lines had been, if we take the plot line you guys just mentioned, and then take and say the Luke plot line, and those two had been the book, I would have enjoyed it so much yeah. more. Yeah. Ooh. But yeah. One of the uh. weird things about this one that was bugging me throughout was the composition. <laughs> Of Sorry, bugging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was bothering me throughout. <laughs> was the way the groups were split up seemed specifically to dilute any potential interesting interactions between people. There was a little bit between Jason and Danny. There was a little bit with Saba and her crew, but there was. Jaina and her parents were in the same place, but they didn't really have much of an emotional connection between them. Luke could have been involved with Melinza, and then you would have Luke's, like, emotional ties to her looking like they're more important. I feel like the way they split up the groups made the team dynamics just very dull. And that's a problem that did not start in this book. Those groups were formed in the first book in the trilogy, but they really heard it here i thought yeah i would agree yeah definitely there okay. there were so many good opportunities for people to come together or not for things to happen it felt like there were a lot of interesting ways that all of this could have gone or little flashes of really fascinating things like a view into chess culture jagfell suddenly makes 10 times more sense but we get it's so back and forth like you get what a few passages of one plot line and then a quick switch into another and without the chapter breaks i found it really hard to follow at times yeah well let's actually look at these since you just had such a good segue there about going back and forth between the plot lines let's take them one at a time um let's start with bakura and i split it out in the notes i gave to Harry her own thing because she was kind of doing her whole thing on bakura but let's talk about the han leia Akura, the next stop on the Bantam's Greatest Hits tours. Whichever one of you was green, please read that note. It's Jurassic Park time. 
I yeah so we go there and I can't remember if I type out above or here if it's Sissy Rue or Sissy Rook or whatever it's just a lot of duplicate letters the Sissy whatever's given up by now C. Ruby is plural or speaking about them as a nation Megan you're a nerd (laughs) thank you (laughs) I mean thank you but also (laughs) I appreciate you knew that anyways so this folks uh, how they use that tech to put the, good God, pleck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is oh, ridiculous. That's how funny. do we get okay. into this? Well. I hate Star Wars. <laughs> this, is, this is ridiculous even by our standards or lack thereof. You like <laughs> the apostrophes in it? It's like, pleck. <laughs> Sorry, I'm human. I can't speak that language properly, so therefore... <laughs> I just Rocky, want... I, I want you to know that your sorry was slightly muffled, so I just pictured you getting up and leaving. <laughs> you know what I really want to do? I want to get Brian, and he's not going to do this, because he he'll kill me if I ask him. But, like, every time we try to say the C-Rook or C-C-Rook, Rook, just have him put in, like, a raptor sound from Jurassic yes. Park. And any time yes. we say that, Lex, just put in, like, a T-Rex. No, 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 the, uh... Yes. No, the one with the big... The uh, the one that kills uh, the stupid guy, the traitor guy in Jurassic Park, the Dilophosaurus. Oh, yes, yes, Dil- yes. Can there, yeah. there please, oh please, be like a spitting Dilophosaurus at some point in this book? Because it would improve my quality of life, okay? Yeah. It's like added. So just imagine those sounds are playing anytime we yes. try to say, because yes. he's not going to do it. Brian will kill me. Have you asked, though? <laughs> no, but... Yeah, I don't think I'm going to. I Anyways, I think part of the reason I like this book more the first time or the second time around more than this time is because I do love dinosaurs. I love reptilian aliens. There are so many of them in this book from the very beginning with the Krizlaws to the Siruk to Saba. And that's great. And that's fun to picture. But the descriptions of them are so weirdly elastic that it's hard to tell what they look like consistently, and that was frustrating to me. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Um. So I I was making the notes as I was reading the book, and I you know I mentioned how they use the tech to put the slave mines into their ships, and I asked like, what do we think the Vong would think of this? And then I got to the end of the book, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I this don't, was also yeah. my reaction. The yeah. what? <sighs> yeah. I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. How were they saying that the Vong were the ones doing it? I think they were trying to say that the Vong were destabilize were trying to destabilize Bakura. But the question then is why? Because they were trying they were working okay. So the Puek were double crossing the Bakurans. The Siruk were using the Puek, the Yusun Vong were using the Siruk, but Bukura ended up working with the New Republic, and if it hadn't, it would have been concentrated for the Siruk using the, the technology that the Yusun Vong would just eventually come in and destroy anyway. So, I'm not really sure what their endgame was here. Yeah, 
you see our problem with following exactly what was going on in this book. Oh, and also, then Undertow the whole... had his whole thing. Yeah, with the the yeah. replica robot that wasn't a human replica robot that was. I I just don't buy that the Vong were willingly going along with people using tech. Like it's yeah, just very no. much not their mo, and I. I, it almost makes me wonder if they went, oh, crap, we haven't had the Vong in the book, except for, you know, the the Naminor chapters. What do we do? Yeah, that I also had a little bit of that feeling because even Naminor, who understands that sometimes you have to deal with tech for the sake of fitting in and getting the job done, he's still not going to embrace it and run with it. It just felt very out of character. And yeah. I just I just could not buy it by the end of the book. And I'm like, yeah, I can't. Weren't there some conversations in the previous one about how the Yu Sun Vong are on the back foot now? Oh, or they am are. I yeah, yeah, so I guess arguably they could be desperate, but that wasn't built up in, in this book in a way that even justifies the theorizing. Yeah. Also, I don't think they would be that desperate. Yeah, I don't think they're anywhere near the point of that desperate because really it seems it seems like other than Nominor and a few others, it doesn't really seem like they're overly aware of how bad the situation is. Like a random warrior would probably assume that all is still at least decently well. But yeah. it really, like, the higher levels absolutely know that things are not going well, but otherwise, nah. Yeah. Oh. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Melinda Thanis, who I actually, I like her, and, I, and except for getting confused multiple times as to whose side she was on in the book, I thought her, her, story, her part of the story was interesting, or as interesting as it could be in a book like this. She's yeah. 15 years old, the daughter of, I think Gariel was one of the, was the senator. Um, and she's the leader of the Glocal Resistance Cell. And the one thing I had pointed out in my notes was that I thought the conversations between her and Jaina were really interesting, given that Jaina was like, oh, she's so young. And I'm like, Jaina, she's like a year younger than you were when the war started. Chill out. Yeah. Melinda had a couple cool elements one of which was just like the treehouse base she was in they yes. just had a very like we're teen hackers and we're cool and we live in a tree in an abandoned building like that's neat that was super cool <laughs> yeah it definitely was and then she's a political gray area i've been thinking a lot about the way the new republic and is portrayed in terms of the morals of the people within it, because I think there's a significant difference between how that's done in Legends and how that's done in Canon. That's a big conversation that I'm not going to do right now, but she's an interesting political gray area because she sees, kind of like her mother did, she sees the bad effects of the New Republic and the, the GFFA, and she feels that everybody needs a scapegoat. She says the Empire used the Rebellion as a scapegoat. And now the New Republic is using the Yusan Bong as a scapegoat to try to take away Bakura's authority. Which I don't think is is true in the fiction, but it's interesting to have a character who's almost a conspiracy theorist in that way. And goes about it in this kind of Robin Hood-esque search for justice. 
was any of that emphasized in the book? Not really. I found myself wondering whether she was supposed to be interesting because of her connection to Luke or whether she was she stood alone and there was surprisingly little about Luke's relationship with her which I can't really decide whether that's a good thing because the the plot of like Luke's ex-girlfriend has a daughter now is a little bit campy in that very legends way or is it a lost opportunity for for her to maybe think about like what does she think about Ben Skywalker? What does she think about the fact that she hasn't seen Luke in a while? Like, I wanted more about that relationship. Yeah. If some of that had been filled in in the past, I think it would have made this a much easier sort of book to follow. And- because it took me, in this reread, way less time to remember, wait, Melinda. Oh, yeah. Because I remember it was in my second reread where I went, wait a minute, I know the name. From where? There may have been more about this in another book post. It was. Yes. It was. Because Um, the whole thing with her mother dying, um, that was, I can't, I think it might've been the Corellian trilogy. Yes. Yes. Because. Yeah. They get, they get that. So, and and Melinda was introduced in that book. So that the, you know, his ex-girlfriend and calling her his ex-girlfriend is really generous. Um, I, I, I would not. One of the many people introduced to be a romantic interest for Luke, regardless of how it worked. Yeah, what. and she was always a little bit more. I felt she was a little bit more aware than some of his other love interests. But uh, that's either here or there. The point is, is that I didn't mind, you know. Oh, you know, his daughter, but that thing but it was the whole. What was that term they used for her? Something daughter. Um, sponsor daughter. It was that yes. part was weird. I'm just, it, it I don't remember like, hearing that before. Yeah, it felt like they were trying to come up with a GFFA version of, like, the only word I have for it is, like, the concept of a godchild. Like, for any of us who are from a more Catholic background, where it's, like, someone who's not your actual parent, but supposed to be kind of like an extra parent and kind of keep an eye on you. But that's that was so kind weird. Yeah, yeah, that was the vibe I got. And I was just like, they, it felt like they were looking for a GFFA term for something that kind of has more religious connotations in our world. Or that's the only thing that I had in comparison. I don't know. It's It's just really strange. And I wish that relationship had been a little bit more developed because there are a lot of parts of this book where it feels like things that were coming out of nowhere or at least were a lot more confusing and complicated than they really needed to be. Generally speaking, I thought she was an interesting character trapped in a painfully boring narrative. That makes sense. I agree. Yeah. Like, I would love to see... I think you could drop her into current canon in the rebel era pretty well like i could see her meshing well with someone like cassian or envis nest oh she would go really well there i think like i think she would fit really well in there it's just Mm. this book (laughs) that goes with oh sorry go ahead she just seemed really cool and there were so many little bits of great potential here and there. And then then I'm just going, wait a minute, who is on whose side? Can we get like some vague idea of what's going on? 
<laughs> yeah, I found it confusing, but also if the characters had been more interesting, I think I would have cared more about picking apart the mystery, like either the acting prime minister or Kundertal, the previous prime minister who ended up being a human replica droid. Uh, those are both just very boring characters to me. Yeah. Yeah, I like having someone to root for, and I wanted to root for Melinda, but I felt like she kept getting jerked around by everyone a little too much. Yeah. Um. And yeah, what about Jaina? Jaina <sighs> <laughs> has grown night. up so much in this war, and it's actually kind of sad to see. Like, she's oh. not actually that that much older than Melenza. And it's Four, really sad that she years? feels that much older. Yeah. Yeah. I felt bad for her and Jag, because they keep getting separated on these things, and they just want to, you know... They do, <laughs> they do care about each other. Like, there's a point where oh, they have starting to... Starting to show it. Aww. They have to do that thing where, like, sh- they have to lie to Jag, and, like... He thinks Jaina's in serious harm, and she could, like, hear how he's not happy. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. Mm-hmm, that was I nice. just wanted to hug Jag by the end of that scene. He's, he's doing his best. He's really growing on me, and I don't know how to feel about this. Like you said, we want someone we can root for, and I did feel that Jaina was that person in this book. She just wasn't written with a lot of spark right and the relationship between her and jag was a point of like at least i understand why these people care about each other i i understand why they are invested and that helped i also find it very entertaining that jag has clearly reported back to his family that he has a girlfriend and they've decided that clearly this is why he has fallen astray (laughs) it's Uh. that was just cute (laughs) All right, is there anything else on Bakura besides Tahiri we want to discuss before we dive into Tahiri? Don't so think so. <laughs> okay. Man, that girl's having a rough time. Okay. And she's all on her own, and I got really mad at Leia and this book. So I got really, really mad at this book because the previous books in the New Jedi Order have been really good at realizing that recovery from trauma is a process and it is not a straight line and you're going to have some really bad days, even if overall you're making progress. And this book seems like it seemed like Leia especially totally forgot that recovering from trauma is a giant nightmare and you're not going to be just suddenly okay. And it seemed like everyone just kind of forgot that Tahiri went through a lot. And there's like, first of all, the whole getting captured and tortured and brainwashed and almost getting turned into a Yuzhan Vong in the first place. And then seeing her longtime friend about to become boyfriend die yes she's not going to be okay at this point like does anybody actually expect that (laughs) apparently yeah Yeah, it felt like everyone just like completely had a massive brain fart and totally forgot that tahiri's been through like hell and back even more so than average around here 
My favorite part of her arc was that moment where I think it was Jaina. Someone points out that Rena was actually the one who activated the force bubble to save people and to save herself at the end. And that question, that kind of pushes them toward maybe she isn't all bad. And also, if she's totally used on Vong, how can she use the force? Which I think are both interesting questions. And I feel like those are both questions we're going to discuss a little bit better in another couple books. Or Should we ask you about that later, Rocky? Yeah, yeah. Add that to the Ask Rocky about that one later. Because otherwise I'm just going to pull out my Tahiri deserves better sign. The only other thing that I have to say about Tahiri in this book is that she contributes to the overall Jurassic Parkness because she notes her visions of a reptilian thing are uh, similar to the Cyruk. Huh. I hadn't thought about that. I do like that she actually got to contribute and be a part of the mission instead of just sitting around. Yeah. yeah. I felt like she got sidelined, so that was nice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and like it felt even in-universe that she knew pretty well that she was being sidelined because nobody really knew what to do or how to talk to her. And, like, she felt awful about that in-universe, and it was, yeah. Yeah. Um, oops, hold on. You okay, Bria? Yeah, I set a reminder for myself to podcast ten minutes before we were supposed to start recording, and then we started recording uh, 35 minutes early, so. Because <laughs> oh. <laughs> my election was going off how- what time is and you were all free <laughs> understandable <I know>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry so my alexa was going off in the background it's like i'm reminding you podcast and i'm like oh thanks. thanks though you got it <laughs> um what was i gonna say oh uh i think that for tahiri and much like everything else but especially for tahiri and also for nominor that they have the they have interesting plot lines or at least what should be an interesting plot line and but it's done a disservice from how spread apart it is um i would have been much more interested if we had all of tahiri's stuff in this or i mean not interesting because i i think tahiri's uh struggle with rena is interesting but like i would have been more engaged with it if it had all been in like one book or it all been in just two books and it same goes for nominora's whole Nominoring. <laughs> I'm so glad nominor has been turned into a verb. Yeah. Uh, do you guys have anything else to say about Tahiri, or do you want to actually just jump down to nominor while we're on the topic? We can switch those two uh, parts on the list. I don't mind. Cool. So, profiting full-time now and getting followers who aren't shamed ones. Yes, <laughs> When yes. you say it that way, with profiting and <laughs> and followers, I feel like he opened a Patreon. <laughs> Subscribe well, to my Patreon. Your perk for one dollar is, you know, a new uh, GDI story. And let's see. I don't know. What's your perk for five dollars? Um, getting some kind of no. If you donate fifty dollars, then you get some kind of cool biotechnology thingy that lets you see into Supreme Overlord Shamra's chambers. Yes. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's $1 for the beginning of the Vua Rapung story, but you have to go up to $5 for the ending of the Vua Rapung story. Ooh. I can and buy which it. version of the story are we getting? 
Ten dollars gets you the real version. <laughs> According to who? <laughs> the prophet Namanor, or what's his name? Uh, Yusha, Yusha the prophet. Oh, he's he is so deeply in his element. <laughs> he's so deeply, and then he almost kills someone who's like there to help him. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, oh, Namanor, Namanoring his way back into trouble again. Just. I would have loved to have substantially more of his misadventures going on around here because they're actually interesting. Yeah, he wasn't in the book very much at all. I actually wish there was more about his gang of, like, his um, most loyal people. Because there's Kunra, there's Shunmi, there's the new lady, and then, who's unfortunately, I don't remember her name, even though she was kind of the most <laughs> important thing to happen in Oh, in I can spell it, but don't ask me to pronounce it. Um... Just try. If you sneeze, yeah. you're close enough. <laughs> I um, try, but my cat will think I'm having a hairball. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted more about them. Just like like the four the of them getting in shenanigans. Yep. The finest yeah. band of ragtag misfits in the galaxy. Yes. Or, or is that Luke's original Jedi class? That's Luke's original <laughs> Jedi class. <laughs> I did think the part where they were listening in on Shimra and everyone was in, was really interesting and intriguing at the end. And I couldn't tell if it was because it was actually interesting or because we had had so little of the Yuuzhan Vong at that point that I was like, yes, give me the plot. Tell me the things about your magical plans. And yeah. I will say. It was actually interesting because uh, that's kind of a curveball in, in things. Shimra doesn't yet know that Nominor has a way to spy on him. I catharsis laughed when he told the guy to cut to give him his hand and he cuts his hand off because it was funny, but it was also <laughs> so dark and it was like almost a funny reaction to that initial hand cutting off scene that we got earlier in this series. And I was like, this is so much, but also it's a pun, so I'm gonna laugh. And also, the Yuzhanbong would probably find it funny. That would too. they though? They're the Yuzhanbong. Do they find anything funny? Oh right, right. I don't know. Is it heresy to have a sense of humor? Hmm. Maybe an interesting theological question. How <laughs> well, you have to wonder if Yun Harla would have one, or if oh, it would make any said- sense. It would not make sense. Well, not to us, but... (laughs) Well, yeah. She's a goddess. She can do what she wants. (laughs) That is a pretty good loophole in most things. Loophole. Uh, Yeah, okay. So... Anything else in that, or... Shall we go to the unknown regions? Good to go. Now, where is it that we hear about, well, if if you start figuring out what they all are... They won't be the unknown regions anymore. Wedge Antilles says that in the start of uh, Starfighters of Atomar. Thank you. It is one of my favorite things to say. If you start <laughs> if you start exploring the unknown regions, you'll have to call them something else. Well, it's very <laughs> true, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So the Chiss are there. They're kind of distrusting. And they really are not thrilled that Luke and company would like to just wander around their territory looking for a planet that sounds like it's fake. And supposedly can move around. I can't really blame them. 
I, yes, I'm fairly certain that that was the most polite way that Chiss had of saying, wait, you want to do what in our territory? Are you on drugs? <laughs> yeah, It I was, think... yeah, they probably had the most polite possible response to anyone who waltzes into your house and says, hi, can I look around for something that probably doesn't exist? Yeah. Now, the real dick move, I thought, was from that other Imperial who was not fell, who was like, well, let's let them let them wander around, but let them use the library. What, two days is fine, right? And they all agree, being like, yeah, two days to, like, type things in a computer, to, to Google for two days. And then books. they discover <laughs> books in the library, and no one knows what they are. And Megan, please read that note you just wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many things to say about this, but the one that I wrote was the sacred Jedi texts. <laughs> because... The expanded universe has this incredibly charming scene where Jason doesn't know how to use physical books in a library. And <laughs> I always just found this so delightful in like a very indulgent meta, like books about books kind of way. And then I was thinking, well, this wasn't, this isn't a thing in canon anymore. This was definitely a thing in Legends that is like books had never really come up before. But in canon now, we have the sacred Jedi text. So clearly, Rey knows what books are. Luke knows what books are. Jason Solo does not know what books are. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, his aunt is is Mara, who like the last time she went into a library, it was so she could get a holdout blaster out of some book thing isn't which... that what libraries are for though <laughs> not around <laughs> here <laughs> well for for the solo and skywalker clan <laughs> wait a minute was the obroa sky library completely devoid of physical books i remember it having no i thought it had some huh. like the jedi temple library in the prequels had microfiche basically yeah, <laughs> like digital yeah. they they weren't okay can i talk about my overall feeling about Go. technology in star wars so technology in star wars has always been what um i think it was douglas adams called xerust which is future stuff that looks old and star wars is 70s technology Right, 70s and 80s technology is what it's based on, so some of it is always going to look like it's based on 8-tracks to us. So, that's one of the things I like about Star Wars. In this book in particular, we have kind of two very different technological aesthetics, one of which I feel like works for Star Wars, and one of which I feel doesn't. So, we have the Chiss with their, like, ice... um barges very similar to the sand barge from Jabba's palace and then with their physical books and because it's a, a long time ago them having physical books feels like it fits in the Star Wars universe in a way that all the floating stuff on Bakura did not feel to me floating stuff on Bakura felt like it was high tech not high tech envisioned in the 70s and I found that to be a little distracting. Um, did either of you feel that the the way the technology was different in these two parts was noticeable? I thought it was noticeably different, but I thought that was on purpose to distinguish societies. Mm -hmm. 
And um, I think it was on purpose too, but I don't think it worked with regards to Bakura. I just had trouble. And this is true of human replica droids too. Like I don't think they feel like Star Wars, even though they were a staple of, of Shadows of the Empire of the early EU stuff. Mm-hmm. I think I appreciate the work that went into making the two societies feel different, but it doesn't have that used feeling that Star Wars tech in the movies does. You know, I think that's kind of a, that's an artifact from how the Bantam era was constructed because they got all the, the sci-fi authors who were big at the time. And like, uh, is it Vonda McIntyre who wrote Crystal Star? I might be, but like, if you talk about her outside of the context of Star Wars, people love her stuff and they dig it. They like, they dig her science fiction work. But you mention her in the context of Star Wars and people bash their heads against the wall because Crystal Star. And I think, and you know, you have these other authors who are probably pro- fairly prominently known, I will admit, to, you know, being a child of the 90s. So I am not as aware of who are bigger names in science fiction in the 80s and 90s. But I think that they all sort of brought their own spin to it. And I think that's how you got planets like Bakura. That's how you get races like the Yevatha. And then when you go and do, you know, the Bantam Greatest Hits, they stand in stark contrast to a society like the Chiss, who were created later 90s, but really fleshed out here in the early 2000s, if that makes sense. No, no, that does make a lot of sense because just the very way that I've personally always thought about Star Wars tech, and I'm pretty sure that this is from an official source, was the Millennium Falcon's cockpit is based off of a B-29 bomber, which was developed very end of World War II. And the Millennium Falcon is basically held together by optimism, sheer force of will, being too lazy to fall apart, blunt force trauma. However, it also is capable of faster than light travel and can run the castle run in 12 parsecs. It's that kind of clash of technology that makes sense in universe, the old looking new stuff. And that's kind of my almost mental guideline for what kind of tech do I feel fits in Star Wars is the stuff where you can feel, see some of the older influences. It's not shiny, pretty, perfect science fiction. The places in the Star Wars universe that are like the shiny, pretty version feel very different and not necessarily out of place, but they don't feel like part of the main universe as much. Are you talking like Coruscant and Naboo? Because no, like okay. that's that's those are like shiny Bacura. and pretty, but because yeah. like we know perfectly well that Coruscant has like a very sketchy underbelly here and there. <laughs> I'm trying yes. to think of technology yeah. in Star Wars that's, like, more, quote, sophisticated, that would require more, quote, science than in Techman. Like, what is, they're taking a human, like, brain, they call it life force, which is yeah. a whole other Oh, now problem. I'm thinking of the, <laughs> the droid from the ruins of Jabba's palace at the beginning of Darksaber. There was, like, oh, the, oh, the, yeah. the brain the brain jar, the Bomar brain the Bomar jar. Monk. That's yes. Sorry, I'm out of brain bleach. That was the thing. I think wasn't that also in the Tales from Jabba's Palace? Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. I hate. That's why I didn't like that book. That oh, thing freaked me out. Very Spider creepy. brain jar. Oh no. And then we have the um, 
what are they called in the sequel trilogy where they have half of their heads cut off? The decraniated. Oh, the, like, decraniated. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there has always been this like medical horror element there. Yes. Yeah. I think it's. <sighs> and on that note, listeners, <laughs> sorry in yeah. advance if if we've grossed anybody out. <laughs> but okay, so so that's actually a good point because you're talking. I think it might have to do with taking. Because Bakura takes the life force out of one thing and powers another, that's that seems to be the limit. Like, and that might be part of the reason why the whole Callista thing always irritated me. Because she's living in a computer and then she takes over someone else's body. And that never felt right. Well, for multiple reasons, even though it was a like consensual body taking. But like... It's creepy. Yeah. And I feel like that that's a line in Star Wars. When, you, when your yeah. energy transfers... And no, that just seems no, weird. I, I agree with that there. I definitely do. Like, it, where is that line? I'm not 100% sure, but it's definitely a line. It does exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was good. Actually, yeah. no, I know it is, because it feels it feels too much like, and I say this with so much love, it feels for BSG, but like the new BSG. It feels yes. It feels too much like that. I think if we get too literal about it, we'll end up in this question, which I don't know if it's a useful question or not, but I'm going, what's the difference between the life force that the Cyrook use and the force, capital F? That might have been dealt with in Truce of Bakura, or it might have just been like, well, we're in a science fantasy universe. We can come up with more life forces if we want to. That idea is very different from things we get in other parts of Star Wars. Yeah. Well, they have to be completely different. Mm-hmm. Like, the Force is one great big thing that, you know, binds us together and everything, whereas the life forces are small and singular. Yeah, and individual and sort of transferable. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, they the shouldn't be. The individual transferable thing is, I think, the real horror spot because, no, something like one's individual essence is kind of not supposed to be transferable. Yeah, especially since it's done unwillingly to slaves. Yeah. Oh, man. What did we think about Kundertal wanting it intentionally? Because there's no. part of me. <laughs> oh. There's, there's part of me that's like. Not that I wouldn't want a I wouldn't want a robot body that would freak me out, but I can almost understand why a person would like the the idea of that ambition of like this is a world where I could potentially live forever, so I'm going to like that's an interesting motivation for a character. Um, it wasn't executed super well, but I did think it was notice notable that his motivation was almost understandable in in that way. It was just very gross at the same time yeah but i think you have a point about it being that that did not feel like star wars to me mm-hmm. the whole concept mm-hmm. and i hadn't really thought about it until you brought it up now but there's yeah. just something weirdly unsettling about it that just does not feel right it is interesting having this conversation now in particular because when we say this doesn't feel like Star Wars, we kind of all know what we mean. Like, we mean it doesn't really feel like the original trilogy. It doesn't really feel like The Empire Strikes Back. But at the same time, 
we're obviously big fans of the expanded universe, like the whole thing, um, of the new canon, the whole thing. And we're asking, does this feel like Star Wars when I don't know that the Yusun Bong feel like Star Wars, but they work in a way that the life force and a lot of things about Bakura didn't for me. And I'm not really sure why that is. No, there's a specific feeling. It's really hard to put my finger on what exactly feels like Star Wars. Like, it's one of those things that don't ask me to define it, but... When you know it, you see it. Yeah, I will absolutely know it when I see it. It is, not to be dramatic or anything, but, like, it is the the life force behind it, right? Like, you write a story, it kind of gets a life of its own if it's a good story, and you feel like you're... And I think Lucas was kind of aware of this, like, tapping into older stories and tapping into like this undercurrent of story energy that's a that's a thing that's like an awareness that readers have of whether a story feels true or not and maybe the question here is does Bakura feel true and maybe it doesn't maybe that's too big a question yes <laughs> it's, yes, it it's too big it's hurting my brain or yes I'm big, right oh okay. it's too big a question right now <laughs> I just it's too big a question, but I get it. <laughs> Does Bakura feel true existentially? <laughs> oh, God. So Please answer this us on Twitter. On this week's edition of Vongcast Philosophy. Yeah, I was not expecting that to happen today, so... Sorry, I used all my brain cells like 10 hours ago, so... And all yeah. this because I remembered to put technology down on the, on the list. You did, at the last minute, too. Um... Should we uh, undetour back to the Chiss and the Fells? Because I do want to talk about them. Oh, yeah, right. I, that's where we were. Yeah. I that's really where we started. hear what you have to say about Sem Fell, Chem Fell. Because yeah. I don't know much about them. Okay. So. Yes, so, yes. I totally forgot all of this. I have. Okay. So we get to meet the Fells. And I have a lot of feelings about them, including things that happen in later series that piss me off. But ask at a Rocky move. Ask me about that on Twitter. Ask me about that later. Um. <laughs> So I love the fellas because you have Sutter Fell, you know, head of the 181st, who just disappeared years and years ago after defecting to the Empire and then possibly defecting back and then just vanishing and going off with Ron. And his wife, Winnesa Starflare, is Wedge Antilles' older sister. <laughs> and I love that her name is, yeah, and her name is actually Sile. And this is, I love the names because Wedge then names his oldest daughter after his sister. And then Sutir and Sile name their daughter after Sile's stage name. <laughs> yeah, she was have, an actress, wasn't she? Yeah, so you have two, you have two Sile and Tillies and sort of two Win Fells, Winessa Fells. Um, the point is, though, and I, I love that we actually get to meet some of Jag's siblings, the remaining ones, because Win is a delight. I love her so much, and She's I really. Such a cool kid. I want her to meet Jaina so badly. Because <laughs> yes. I feel like they would get along. Um, the note, though, I have about Sem. So, she briefly mentions Sem. And this doesn't come up in this book, but it comes up in the Stupid Darkness trilogy. Uh, the concept of a shadow child, because it was established in canon earlier on that there were five fell children. So, they mentioned Davin and Cherith as oh wait make sure i got it right davin and Cherith had died in combat then you had jag 
and then you had when and then you know and then you had Windsor, and then they mentioned Sam in this book, and then either in this one or the one before, <laughs> I don't remember when Survivor's Quest came out, but they mentioned a character named Chack Fell. <laughs> And that brings us up to six, which is a problem when they say huh. that the Fells only have five kids. So the solution, instead of Chack being a nickname for Davin, um, which was what I think someone at Lucasfilm suggested being a thing, they decided to create the concept of a shadow child, which is what Sem became. So basically, the idea is that the Chiss, it's normal in the Chiss society to have another child who is a total secret raised in secrecy they're not acknowledged so that way if something happens to the family the bloodline can continue on what yeah i don't remember this at all i I don't think this is the first time i've run into this in a fictional universe i love it though i mean it makes sense for them especially from what we see of chis society it seems like a pretty understandable sort of thing to do especially like even in a society where the title matters more than the person currently holding the job when you have different families who traditionally take care of different parts of society and have different roles it makes a lot of sense i'm positive i've run into this in other universes yeah i mean i it makes sense i think it's not too I've definitely seen it somewhere else, but I, my favorite part though, is that I can't remember who has the conversation in the darkness trilogy. I think it might be Luke, um, where he mentions to someone, someone chess, he mentions Sam and they're like, what? And then that's the point where he, they figure out that, Oh, I guess the fells have a shadow kid. And it's brought up that if Wynn mentions Sam in front of Jason, that she didn't do it by accident and that she probably did it on purpose because her dad mate told her to. Hmm. The plot uh. almost thickens in a way there. Right? I yeah. admire the complexity of this. <laughs> yeah. It seems very chiss. Yeah. So this is this is why I love I love the chiss society so much. It's such a mess. And I love I the like bells. The- I love how they claim that everything is perfectly within these rules and suddenly you discover 88,000 loopholes and all sorts of other shenanigans going on. I love them. And there's all that maneuvering where, like, everyone gets split up. Yeah, I... It's one giant game of, like, 4D chess and it all makes total sense, but... (laughs) Does this mean that Thrawn could have a shadow sibling out there somewhere? Maybe. I'm positive I've come across that fanfic. <laughs> I don't think I have, but I would definitely read it. Yes, that's yes. all irony aside. That is a good fanfic concept. Yes, yeah. and I don't, so, and we don't know if the Shadow part. Child thing came back. I don't know if that's been mentioned in canon yet. Like, I don't think it. I don't think we spent enough time with the Chiss yet to know. But I hope they do bring it back. It's a really cool concept. Oh yeah. Oh man, yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, um, that was my that was my spiel about. The chests are awesome. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys have any more thoughts about the fells? Like, I I know you don't have as many uh, connections to anyone X wing related as I do, but hence why I love the fells. But they're I didn't know growing if- on me so much, and just Wynn's reaction to no, we didn't say Jag wasn't reporting home. He just wasn't doing so the way he was supposed to. Like, the family knows he has a girlfriend. 
Yeah. <laughs> they Actually, know. It was so rem- cute. The whole conversation between Sile, Wynn, and Saba was interesting to me. Yes. Um, because there was, or Saba was just like, is she just being racist or what's up? Oh, and then yeah. they kind of realized that, yeah, Sile was a little bit probably surprised to run into a giant lizard in the middle of the library, as would we all. <laughs> um, but, uh, oh, I just found a typo in this book. Huh. <laughs> they're f- confusing family trees. Yeah. Um, but I like it where she was, she was worried about, about her husband going off like Jag had gone off and fought the war. And I'm like, that's a very human there. I hate saying human in this whole, in the world where there's aliens, but it's a very human sentiment to be worried about losing your family to a war that seems to not be ending anytime soon, especially when you or your family already fought one war that took a while to end. You mentioned Saba, and I did appreciate her role in this book. I think that there wasn't too much to draw me to her, other than the fact that she is a large lizard. Like, there weren't any... Even in uh, Force Heretic 1, there was that hook about her guilt. She didn't really have as clear a character arc in this book. But I do like her. I continue to like that she's a very um, active character. And I like lizard people, so that's cool. She, uh, I also like that Wynn was the one that was a big factor in them eventually discovering Zanemesicot, even though the pacing of it was kind of weird. It was cool that she, like, basically knew how to, like, refine a search in a way that was helpful to them. And yeah. how to do so in a library. <laughs> With books. Yeah. Though, oh, speaking of library shenanigans, can we talk about how Jason cannot realize that or kind of gets that Danny is trying to flirt and then goes, wait a minute, moon? Satellite? <laughs> Zanama Seikot! Yeah. I was Jason, thinking just about... go on a date already, okay? Just for once. Or don't. Stop trying to make Jason and Danny happen. I was thinking about the comment we got last time about are they really still trying to make Jason and Danny happen? Because yes, yes, apparently, but also... His, it, it seemed to me, the way it was written, that she was interested in him, but his interest in her was, like, not really romantic. He was, like, trying to figure out whether it was romantic or not. And then as soon as um, he thought about that, about looking for a moon, he was like, okay, romance switched off. I have to go. <laughs> they didn't... I feel like the fact that he ran away so quickly means that it's not romantic. Yes, yes. Like, back when this whole series first started and, oh, he totally had a crush on her a little bit. But it seems like he kind of got over her and she started getting a crush on him. Yeah. Mm, That's unfortunate timing. Yeah, bad timing. Whoops. (laughs) (sighs) All right. Anything else about all this, or do you want to move on to the last couple listener questions, which I think we've mostly gone over? But I don't have too much about to add about the chist, but I I just can't get over how charming the library scene was. Even though it was not overall thrilling, it is still one of my favorite parts of the New Jedi Order. Like just that one character moment of him discovering the book 
almost makes this trilogy worth it. Almost. But not. Moments in this book. Yeah, that says something about where the bar is in this book for good moments. Yeah. 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 Oh, well. All right, listener questions. Odie asks, with Jason at the end of Star by Star and now Jaina Makura, do we need a solo kid kidnapping counter? Maybe the Bantam Crope goes with the Bantam locations. <sighs> Odie. I the solo kids themselves said in canon that they have long since stopped trying to keep track. I think so. Sounds about right. I can't count that high. Yeah, we're not doing any more counters. That's no. too much math. We already messed up. We already messed up one of our counters. Excuse me. We refined it. <laughs> yeah, did we? Did we? <laughs> well enough to tell you. I really appreciate you, Odie. We're not doing any more counters. <laughs> <laughs> did you see? I think it was in the Slack. I'd be like, Odie, no. Odie, no. <laughs> um, Look, between all of us, we might be able to count to eight on one hand. Excuse one hand. How many figures do you have, Rocky? Did you graduate from Shaper School when we weren't looking? <laughs> Door with a diploma just to get me out of their hair? No. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, or was that high school? <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, uh, so Daniel asked us, I've never read Trusipakura, but I understand the general idea and context in the lore. Should I have to understand this book better? Uh, or do you think there's enough context? So, like, how are they bringing? How are they doing bringing back old material for these greatest hits moments? Which kind of goes with Odie's question, which is a carryover from last time, of how do you all feel about the Bantam greatest hits tour aspect of the book? Um, so far, it's the greatest misses. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we haven't gone. We haven't done the Black Fleet Crisis yet. That could be it. Even yes, we did. Yavatha, didn't we? Was that last book? Yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> we destroyed them, remember? I forgot. <laughs> I, I like it in concept. I'm still pretty much where I, I was forgot. last book. <laughs> us out of this trilogy. We're losing it, I think. Oh, uh, we haven't gotten Waru yet. So there we go. That That's a low we haven't hit. The we also have not had any Darksabers or Suncrushers yet. Though we well, have we... had Kip Duran alluding to them multiple times over. And also, we had Kip, so I feel like that counts. This is true. I'm sorry, Megan, what insightful point were you trying to say before <laughs> I forgot what happened in the book we read last month? I don't remember. And then I got distracted by Kip would be so offended if you said he was the equivalent of the Sun Crusher. Um, I guess I was just going to say that these are... I like them in concept. I like how you know, connected. The expanded universe was, but the execution is not great. And I, it's hard for me to answer these questions of, do you think you need to read the previous book in order to read this one? Because I'm always an advocate of reading stuff out of order. Because my thought is, if you haven't read it yet, maybe that's because it's not interesting to you. And if it is interesting to you, go do it. And like, don't really worry about what order you're getting the information in. Because like, I read a lot of these books before I read the stu- the Bantam stuff they were based on. So that's a big shrug from me. Yeah, I'm not a good person to ask about this either because uh, a friend of mine is trying to get me into another franchise and there were questions about uh, my ability to pick up on stories without necessarily knowing all of the backstory for a certain character. Uh, <laughs> to which I told her that I had a very bad habit 
accidentally when I was a kid of dropping into Star Wars series in the middle. Uh, my first Star Wars book, like proper EU book, was Darkest Night, which is the fourth book in the YJK series. I wow. sort of just, yeah, yeah. Uh, I read the second books in both the Jedi Academy trilogy and the Thrawn trilogy first. Eventually, I went back and managed to find the other ones. But it was just, you know, what you could find in the library. So I think that it shouldn't... How it should work is that there should be... The author should see enough information about what happened that anyone should be able to read it and understand the book. And if you have read the previous story, then that should just give you a deeper appreciation for what's going on here. That is a very good answer. And also, if I'm right about what other series you're getting yes. drawn into, you chose a, actually a very good spot to start. And we'll yell about that at some other point on some it, other podcast. Rocky, I didn't choose. It, this was literally Christy being like, hey, Bria, I yeah. have a good soft boy for spot you. Spot to start before we have to explain she Lots started, of other stuff that so I will start is, yelling she about. She started later, a poll of Warcraft, right? Yes. Yeah, it's World okay. of Warcraft. She started a poll asking people where they thought I should start <laughs> in the series. I'm not even kidding. And let me tell you, that was a fascinating thread to read of people's opinions on my reading comprehension. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Like, huh. hey, I read so many Star Wars books out of order. I read Darksaber the Thrawn trilogy, the rest of the Jedi Academy trilogy, bits of Young Jedi Knights in no particular order, no matter how hard I tried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my grandmother gave me Darkest Night and um, The Emperor's Plague because I think she just walked into a bookstore and found two Star Wars books that looked like they were appropriate for a nine-year-old. And that is the fourth book and the fifth book and the last book in the next series for the YJK. Yeah. So I oh, just sort yeah. of... I started Young Jedi Knights with Shadow Academy, so... You did better than me. Two whole books ahead. No, three whole books ahead. Oh, no, wait. <laughs> hold on. Darkest Night is book five. Lightsabers is book four. Huh. I started book five and book six. Go me. Whatever um, <laughs> order you think it should go in, please disregard. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't listen to us about reading order, apparently. Yeah, no, we have or, opinions, but at least I am not a sensible enough person to actually stick to them, so... See, we're proof that no matter where you start, you can end up knowing enough about it that you have opinions. Yeah, and even a podcast. You will have so many <laughs> opinions, in fact, that you need a very long podcast to help contain them. <laughs> it will work very well, at least not on the containing part. Yeah, speaking of which, should we wrap this up? Okay. Well, yeah, we should do that. Cool. All right. Jedi deaths remain at 20. I actually sort of zoned out about the Nagri, and I don't remember if any more died. Was it three? No, there yeah. there were no more. I was keeping an eye on them at the end. Okay. No, they, I... were, they were kind of stumbling around somehow not noticing a human replica droid. Well done. Um, Kip's a jerk references are X minus two. We gave up. Uh, if anyone knows what X stands for, don't make me actually it. do any arithmetic. We refined it. Yes, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we're gonna do a quick another shout out to the fanfic slash art request chart that Odie put together for us. I believe Megan tweeted a link to it tonight. I'm not yes. sure when you'll be listening to this, but at some point in recent history, Megan tweeted a link to it. And I have so, confirmed. I know. Hashtag, in the last... There will be an answer. 
Yeah, it's in the hashtag. In the last couple episodes, I was like, I'm not sure if you need, like, the link to access it. You do, but once you have the link, anyone can access it. And the link is now in the hashtag and on my Twitter. So that's there for you. Yeah. So, Megan, where can people find you on social media? <laughs> um, people can find me at Blog Full of Words on Twitter, where I write Alphabet Squadron fanfiction. Rocky. I am Lady Darth Kytus on Twitter, where I constantly complain about Star Wars, World of Warcraft, life, cars, everything else. Okay. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and all that jazz at Chaos Bria, where I am currently continuing to yell about Dragon Age and how I would die for Dorian Pavis, who was just such a good boy. Um, <laughs> anyways... <laughs> Uh, and that's going to wrap it up for this month. This podcast is distributed as part of the Tashi Station Network. It has been brought to you in part by your support on Patreon. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the Tashi Station Radio Mega Feed or to the Throngcast feeds on iTunes for more episodes. And if you support us on Patreon, you can also talk to us in the Patreon Slack, where we are as ridiculous there as we are here. Join us next time when we read Forest Heretic 3 Reunion by Sean Williams and Shane Dix, and we try not to die of boredom. You can read and tweet along with us by using the hashtag Vongcast. It's probably not spoiler-free. Thanks, Odie and Rocky and all of us. I resemble that remark. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you next month. Bye. Bye.